0: From MGMA, welcome to the Insights Podcast. I'm Daniel Williams.
1: It's easy to look at behavior and think, why are they doing that thing? Answer is because their system of experiences is completely different than our own.
0: That's MJ Clark discussing generational differences in the modern workplace. We'll also hear MJ break down the common traits of millennials and Gen Z, how best to lead and motivate each generation, and where cognitive behavior fits into the mix. But first, a word from our sponsor. Over the last decade, value-based care has emerged as a compelling alternative to traditional reimbursement models in primary care. While challenging, this model has proven to be profitable to those who prepare for it. Humana, one of the nation's largest healthcare providers, has teamed up with researchers at MGMA to bring you a new report providing data, case studies, and advice on how to get a jump on the transition. It also takes a closer look at the impact of value-based models on your primary care environment and your potential ROI. To check out the report, visit mgma.com slash VBC report, as in value-based care report. It's easy to fill off course when managing the complexities of a medical practices revenue cycle. But we've got your solution. MGMA's book of the month, Revenue Cycle Management, Don't Get Lost in the Financial Maze by Taya Moheiser and Kim Tolliver. Whether you're new to revenue cycle management or a seasoned professional, the concepts covered in this primer will help your practice keep it all straight and stay on the pathway to success. To purchase or preview Revenue Cycle Management, Don't Get Lost in the Financial Maze, visit mgma.com rcm. In a recent article from the New York Times, a researcher claims Gen Z will be the first generation to have a lower quality of life than the generation before them. A different report published by CNBC says millennials, though higher educated, are earning 20% less than baby boomers did at the same stage of life. Blame for these issues has quickly been cast on older generations with phrases like, okay, boomer, making for often comical responses online, but ultimately provoking the very demographic it's aimed at. These different generations are all represented in the modern workplace, a melting pot of unique personalities and behaviors shaped by various eras and upbringings. Here today to discuss these particular traits, specifically those of millennials and Gen Z, is M.J. Clark, an author, speaker, senior consultant, and executive coach serving healthcare and energy professionals. Well, M.J., uh, thanks so much for joining us today.
1: You're welcome. I'm glad to be here.
0: Now, will you tell us and our audience a little bit about your background in leadership and how you've worked with uh, healthcare professionals?
1: Sure. Um, I started out my career in the communications field and I really got very interested in leadership and management skills. And so I went back to school and got a master's degree in organizational communication. And that's what I've used as the basis of my executive coaching. So what I do with healthcare professionals is largely executive coaching and then workplace consulting. So I might be brought in to help a team um, better communicate and practice assertiveness and manage stress, et cetera. So my background has been about 13 years um, with this company, Integrated Leadership Systems. And I, as I said, work with health healthcare professionals to help them communicate better in the workplace.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, we were talking offline that you did speak recently at MGMA's annual conference. Your session there was on leading, managing, and understanding millennials in Gen Z. Just to define it for our audience, can you give us the age range of both the millennials and the Gen Z? cohorts so we can define that and get a better idea of them.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, Gen Z, which is the youngest generation, they were born after 1996. So they're 20, they're less than 23 years old. And Gen Y, or the millennials, they're in the 23 to 38 year old range. Um, They were born 1981 to 96. And it's funny you should ask about the years because If you Google this, you'll find different years that different companies that have researched these generations assigned to them. So the years I've just given you are from the Pew Research Center, which has done a lot of research on generations.
0: Well, that's why I asked you that question, because we did do some research on that and we. We Googled it, we looked at some different Uh studies, and they're all over the place, and it confused the heck out of me on, okay, (laughs) when did did this millennial group start? Because when I think millennial, you know, we had the new millennium came up when we switched over to 2000, and so I was thinking, well, obviously, that must be when the uh, millennials, uh, you know, switched over or or gave way to the uh, Gen Zers, so... Why is that? What are the indicators, at least from the Pew uh, study that you were referencing, what are the indicators when you switch from one generation to another generation?
1: That's a really great question. I don't know the answer to that. I just know they group them by life experiences typically. So big life experiences like going through 9-11 and and items like that that are kind of world events. Um, Technology is another big one that that weighs into it. So they're looking at big life events that sort of define that generation.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, let's break them down a little bit then for our audience. What are some of the major traits, challenges, in motivations that stand out for these two, uh, these two demographics, the, the Gen Zers and the Millennials?
1: Yeah, I think let's take Millennials first, because um, this is good to kind of break them down a little bit. Um, millennials in terms of traits, the research shows that they are typically very optimistic and idealistic. Um, they volunteer a lot. They're they're dominated by the tech revolution, which can be both good and bad. And by that, I mean, you know, they're really good with technology and yet they're also very engrossed in technology. So sometimes if you're in meetings and everybody's got their phone out, that can be a negative thing because they're not um, as good at face-to-face kinds of conversations. Um, They do respect the wisdom of elders So you'll see a lot of times um, millennials will involve their parents in decision making. And even now, just the other day, I had a client say to me that this millennial that they are managing got a bad um, annual evaluation and they got a call from their parent. Hmm. Complain about the bad evaluation they got.
0: Okay, that's interesting.
1: (laughs) I know, so even now you're thinking some of these millennials are in there, you know, as late as 38 years old, and they're still really involving their parents. So mm-hmm. I thought that was fascinating. Yeah,
0: um, I wanted to jump in real quick, because that is an interesting sure. facet when we're really talking about how these, and we're talking in generalities, but we're, yes, we're talking yes. about an entire demographic, the outside forces that are helping shape those people, because I was of the generation that was basically the first latchkey kid. So ah, okay. we, you know, mom had gone off and started working now. So when we would come home there, there wouldn't be anybody home. And that's hence the term latchkey kid. And so right. we sort of just came home and did our own thing. But I'm noticing now as a parent of a teenager, uh, myself, I will include myself. And then the other parents who uh, have children in high school and middle school Uh, Now Mm -hmm. we're falling into this helicopter parent mode where I guess we were let loose and and run wild a little bit. And now we're uh, (laughs) much, much, much more involved with uh, the children and all of their activities and that sort of thing. So talk about that a little bit before you get into the other demographic uh, about those outside forces that help shape uh, people.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. I think it's really interesting and I am a Gen Xer and I've got two Gen Z kids and I'm with you. I mean, I think myself included, I'm I'm more helicoptering for sure than my own parents were. And I think about just how technology has affected all of us um, specifically for people in my generation who have younger kids, a lot of them have um, phone apps so that they can see where their kids are at all times. You know, they have locators on their phones. And those are things that um, that I haven't chosen to do. I don't have my children's um, passwords for all their social media. I don't do the kinds of things that I think a lot of people do with these younger generations. I don't believe in that much oversight. Um, but a lot of people do, and I think that's part of what is going to shape these generations to come, is the way we parent them, for sure.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and just to piggyback that a little bit, is the interesting way of the way different generations consume information, because I don't think my daughter, who's 15, I don't think she's watched a television in the last three or four years. I mean, at least not where she walked up and turned the TV on. They, she and her cohorts, they mm-hmm. they consume content uh, through either their computer, their iPad, their smartphone, mm-hmm. what, whatever it is, as opposed to going up and, and turning on the big uh, 50-inch TV screen. They, they like that more intimate, <laughs> mobile uh, use of, uh, you know, being able to consume content. So I think that way. They definitely do. Right, right. So we got off track just a little bit. I I was interested in you answering a couple of those questions there, but you were explaining some of the traits and characteristics uh, of the millennials. And I, I don't know if you were gonna go a little deeper with them or you were gonna go ahead and jump over to Gen Z now.
1: I'll give you a couple more quick things about millennials. You asked about also their challenges and motivations. Um, I think what, what has given millennials kind of a bad rap, and again, I wanna reiterate what you said a minute ago that we're not bashing people, we're not gonna label people, but just based on the research and also based on just my personal experience as an executive coach to a lot of millennials, um, one of the things that research has uncovered is that many times people in this generation have unrealistic expectations So they tend to overrate their skills. They come off overly confident. And those kinds of things have really given them a bad reputation. And it's not all millennials, but I definitely have seen those challenges in the job um, realm, specifically in hospitals. So I think that can be really daunting when somebody thinks that they are really killing it at a job, and they might be just be meeting expectations, or sometimes even not even meeting expectations. So I've run into that some like overly confident millennials in the workplace. So that's I think a key challenge, in addition to the job hopping that they've become known for. Um, Gen Z, you know, just to talk about the job hopping, Gen Z tends to more um, not job hop but roll hop. They like to have multiple layers, so, so keeping them challenged is somewhat difficult. So on the challenges of that flip generation, um, that's what we see a lot. But for millennials, in terms of motivation, they really are great team players and they value collaboration, they value diversity. Um, they wanna be coached, which is great. You know, if they are accepting of that coaching and having their progress measured, it allows them to be promoted quickly, which they want. So I think as much as we can see those unrealistic expectations out there, they are willing to be coached. So that's how you can kind of mitigate that. Um, They do value flexible work schedules and autonomy. And sometimes, especially in health organizations, that may not always be possible. So, depending on their role, they may not be in a situation where they can have very flexible work schedules. So, that's a challenge, specifically in healthcare, I think, for millennials.
0: You mentioned that you're an executive coach and you were talking about coaching earlier. So, how do you get around that? Because staffing and basically time management is really at the crux of many of the issues that people deal with in medical practices and in health systems. And how do you deal with that then when you're talking to executives and managers who are climbing the ladder and you're, I don't know what it is, what you're going through with them to help them better deal with this staff that of many of which are made up of younger employees who who might want a little more autonomy might want more of that flexibility how do you coach them on on how to deal with that
1: yeah i really think that internal coaching where you're asking lots of questions not making judgments or assumptions but really trying to understand that individual instead of grouping them into a category like like we do with generations oftentimes i think is really important So uh, spending time with people is kind of the downside in a busy environment of getting what you need from them. But I think prioritizing time with the people who report to you is really critical. We can't expect people to change and improve if we're not guiding them along the way, especially for Gen Z, you know, they're very young in the workplace and they they have a very different experience coming onto the job than we had. um, And I'm talking more Gen X on up. Um, I think the experience is just very different. So I see a lot with Gen Z specifically and still some millennials, just trying to get acclimated to an office environment or in healthcare, you know, a really busy environment. Sometimes things like etiquette are lacking more because they are so plugged in technology-wise. They don't spend as much time with people face-to-face, so some of those professional nuances get missed.
0: Right, and I wanted to take a step back to your presentation again because many of our listeners sure. were unable to, to hear you in New Orleans a few weeks back and sure. wanted to get you to explain to us maybe one or two key points that you wanted to get across, because you're talking about leading and managing these two generations. So what are those keys then?
1: I think one of the keys is um, what I talked about with cognitive behavioral psychology. And I put a model up on the board that has A with an arrow to the right, then a B and another arrow to the right, C and an arrow and D. So those four elements are what make up how we take in information and how we communicate back out. So I will just describe this really quickly for you. So activating events, which is A, happen to us outside of ourselves. And then we take in that information through our belief system which is B. And if you think about it, this is where a lot of generational stuff comes in because we believe things and think about things in a particular way based on the experiences that we've had growing up. So those beliefs that we have or how we think about something leads to an emotional state that we have, which is C. It's C because it's consequent emotion It's a consequence of what we're thinking that creates that emotion. And then D is dependent behavior. Our behavior is dependent on the emotional state that we're having. So A and D are external things. A is some activating event that happens outside of us. And D, dependent behavior is how we behave outside of us. And B and C are things that happen internally how we process things, how we think about things, what we believe about things, and then the emotional state that comes from it. So one of my main points of the talk that I did was really to understand that B is different for every one of us, specifically within generations. So we don't know how people are taking in the things that happen around them, and I always, think it's better to come to someone instead of with frustration, instead to come to them with curiosity, to try to understand B, to try to understand how they're taking in this thing that happened outside of them, because each of us are different. So I think when we think that somebody is really annoying or difficult, they probably think the same of us (laughs) because we're thinking about things in completely different ways. So those are the people that I would even spend more time with, those stakeholders that we work with to try to understand where they're coming from so that we can better understand their behavior. It's easy to look at behavior and think, why are they doing that thing? Mm -hmm. Answer is because their belief, their system of experiences is completely different than our own.
0: What are the tools and techniques then that healthcare profi- professionals can employ to better communicate? I know that uh, in, in talking to other experts that empathy and listening are some of those, but what do they look like uh, when put into action? Can you give us a scenario?
1: Sure, I definitely think listening is a big part of communicating well. I think that many people believe that communicating is them giving a message to someone. And communication is really them giving a message that is received in whatever way it's received and then communicating back to the sender. So there is a communication loop at play. It's not just a one-way conversation. So I think listening is critical. And again, when you're really busy in the healthcare industry, it's very tough to take that time to fully engage and listen to someone and not just cut them off and decide what you're going to do and move ahead because of expediency. So um, one example that I'll share is I was um, coaching someone who is a heart surgeon. And this person was really behaving badly um, in the hospital. and. People um, specifically in the lab were ready to quit over how this person was treating them, and because he was a very high-performing surgeon. Um, when I was working with the CEO, he said, "Well, everybody's kind of nervous about talking with him about this behavior. You know, they um, were worried that he might quit, and he's a very, very sensitive person, even though he can come off very brash." and The problem that I had was um, trying to help them communicate well with the surgeon so that they were being respectful, even knowing that this person is really super sensitive. So how do you frame conversation in a way that's gonna be most acceptable to that person that you're communicating with? I think most of us just communicate in the way that is most comfortable to us we're not looking at the other person and saying, how will they best receive this? We're looking at, how do I best say this? How do I say it my way? I think if we spend a lot more time thinking about who we're talking to and how they best receive our messages, um, which also plays into the listening that we talked about a minute ago, that's a better approach in my opinion than just coming at people in the same way that we are comfortable with.
0: Yeah, when you're working with healthcare professionals and healthcare executives, are you seeing any common themes of issues or challenges that they're struggling with that you you work them through and coach them through?
1: Yes, um I think life work balance is low-hanging fruit for most people in healthcare. People are very stressed out in the workplace and trying to balance the desire to work really hard, which I think they have, with trying to have a life and trying to have a family and and trying to have enough time for all the people that matter to you. I know some of the doctors specifically that I've worked with will say, you know, I'm an excellent doctor, but my marriage is falling apart. And, you know, I have a son who has anxiety and I, uh, can't get my work done around my farm, you know, my land. So there's all these different factors going on, pulling them in different directions. And they just wanna be happy. They just want overall happiness to work hard at a job, but also be able to have a really fulfilling marriage and family life. And sometimes that gets complicated and i think you know when we have those high performers we do want them to work really hard in the industry and we lose sight of that person really having a fulfilling life
0: right and and that is one of the great challenges in any business but particularly in healthcare because we're our industry is constantly looking to improve outcomes to do a better job with patients to do a better job with workflows to you know, Im- improve revenue, lower costs. There's just so much pressure to do that, but then you throw in, oh yeah, but you also need to have a really great uh, work-life balance. So, right. <laughs> you know, going beyond just saying, okay, step back and take a deep breath and relax for a second. What else can they do? What, what is the advice and the coaching that you're providing that uh, helps people achieve those goals?
1: We definitely talk through how you manage stress. So that's one end of it, you know, that's kind of on the back end, like I'm experiencing this stress, how do I manage it for now? But on the front end is really trying to help hospital systems understand that patient outcomes are absolutely tied to doctors and their bedside manner and how happy they are as people. You know, they're interacting with all these patients. So, the better we can help them have a great life, the better those interactions are with patients and the better patient outcomes we get. So, on, like I said, on the back end, it's about managing stress and we give tools for doing that. And there are different tools for different people and what their lifestyles are like. So, that varies. But on the front end, it's about educating why people in the medical profession should have life work balance because it doesn't just affect them it's affecting their work teams and it's ultimately affecting patient care
0: yeah and one of the things that you do talk about in your presentation is workplace tension and i'm thinking about that through the point of view of the stress you're talking about of the um, inability to have that sort of work-life balance. So what are some of the unique aspects of workplace tension that you've seen in medical practices and healthcare care settings? Um, dive into that first, and then let's take a, a closer look at it from generation to generation as well.
1: Yeah, I think um, what I see a lot is communication that is not professional i see a lot of um, very stressed out people communicating in very blunt and disrespectful ways and others really being intimidated to not um, confront people when they are behaving that way and specifically i've worked with a lot of surgeons and they seem to be the worst violators i'll have to say typically are very short and blunt because they are stressed out. So nobody really wants to correct that behavior or talk to them about that behavior. And I feel like it's a huge disservice to them and to the people around them. Um, We lose really great people in the healthcare system because of poor behavior that absolutely could be addressed. And when you're an executive or an administrator or a physician or a nurse who's really stressed out and you're behaving poorly and nobody corrects it you will feel okay that that's being accepted that that behavior is accepted so i see a lot of times people's unwillingness to confront um, poor behavior like that
0: When you're working with a health system or a hospital in that manner, what are the biggest issues or challenges that they're having then?
1: The two biggest I see all the time are communication and accountability. So typically communication, that's a big umbrella term, but a lot of times it's that people are not being assertive with each other There might be a lot of aggressive communication going on or a lot of passive communication where people don't feel comfortable confronting someone. So we try to teach them how to be assertive, how to stand up for themselves without bullying others and without getting walked all over. And then for accountability, sometimes it's as simple as putting some processes in place and procedures so that you can see if people are doing what they say they will do.
0: Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned that because there's the overly assertive and then there's the overly passive and there is a fine line where you you want to be heard but you you don't want to cross those lines. So what's the in, in just a you know the short time that we have here what what is a skill or what is a tool that you can provide for our audience so they can strike that balance and be heard without going over the line in either way.
1: If you are aggressive, that means you win and the other person loses. If you are passive, you lose and the other person wins. So an easy way to think about it is when we are assertive, we both can win. Passive people are coming at it from a people pleasing sense. So they don't want to ruffle feathers where people who are really aggressive are coming at it from a protection standpoint. Like I I wanna get you first so you don't get me. In the middle where we are assertive, we don't need either of those crutches. I'm okay and you're okay. So it's about us both getting what we need here. So we're more likely if we're coming into the conversation Um, without that baggage along with us, we're much more likely to both reach some compromises where we both win.
0: So how do you work through that? Do you have an example, a scenario of where you have coached someone on how to dial back that assertiveness or how to dial up passivity and how to reach that perfect balance where you do – reach the outcomes that you're looking for?
1: Yes, I teach a three-step assertive conversation model, and I wrote about it in my book. And what it is, is the way that we say things usually is the problem. So I give people the words to say to have that assertive conversation. So those conversations begin with, I have noticed, dot, dot, dot and you talk just the facts. Here's something that I see. So you see it and I see it so we don't argue about it. And then step two, these are three steps. Step two is when I see this, I feel, and you plug in a feeling word of your own. I feel frustrated or I am concerned. And that way, again, you can't be argued with because this is your feeling that you're sharing. And then step three is, in the future, I would ask or prefer that we do this. So you're asking for a behavior change. And that three step model, I don't have time to go into it in detail for us now, but approaching someone in that way where it's very factual and you're sharing why it doesn't work for you and then requesting something else seems to work very well. So I do work with people on that specifically.
0: So let's get back to your your title. How do you lead? Sure. How do you manage uh, millennials and Gen Zers in the modern workplace? So what are those keys? So we many of our listeners are, are experiencing this and they, they want to put their best foot forward. They want to be able to communicate in the best way uh, sure. with these uh, younger employees. So what are those first steps uh, that they can take to move forward and see an improved workplace
1: specifically for this group i think it's good to have written policies so that it's very specific um, what your expectations are because they do tend to um, appreciate flexibility and they will sort of test the boundaries and if something's not written down they my experiences with these generations that they will act first and and seek forgiveness later. So I think having more written policies is helpful for these groups. Also, they want regular feedback. So you definitely wanna be giving um, praise and feedback and amidst that setting of expectations. Also, what you mentioned earlier about empathy is something I always suggest as well, just giving them the benefit of the doubt and trying to understand them, not making negative assumptions about their motivation. I think a lot of times um, the poor millennials have, like I said, gotten a bad reputation, and they're that word entitled gets thrown a lot around a lot, and. In your mind, if you're thinking these people are entitled, you are going to behave with negative intent with that belief going on in your head. So just recognize your own beliefs about these groups and try to combat that with being really open and approaching them with curiosity instead of resentment. And really just getting to know them, getting to know their interests, getting to know what they're passionate about, uh, those kinds of things help us really understand them better.
0: Hmm. And you had mentioned it a couple of times that general generational differences seem to be thought of mostly in a, a negative light. We're always focusing on the different generations, whether they're, uh, you know, older, or younger or even our own generations. Oh, we fit into this, uh, you know, this particular space and this is who we are, who they are. And, and so uh-huh. we're we're kind of focusing on the negative, but we don't have to do that. And. One no. thing I found interesting in your presentation was you actually talk about how having this diversity in the workplace, these different skill sets, these different interests can actually benefit, so how can we get the most out of different generations in the workplace and having them all working together to reach those, those uh, common goals?
1: Absolutely, you're right. I think it's very helpful to have different generations in the workplace. Um, I I think we need a variety of thoughts um, and practices so that we're all challenged to become better versions of ourselves, better teammates to each other. And I think if everyone thought all the same things in the same ways, then having a team at work wouldn't even be necessary. So. Having a variety of voices and thoughts help us come up with the best solutions um, for both our practice practices and our patients. So I think about that a lot. The, not just um, diversity in terms of how we all think of it, like race and creed, but even these ages, different ages in the workplace are part of diversity. You know, having different schools of thoughts to come up with the best solution. I know sometimes I've worked with folks who are older who will say, well, let's not do that. We tried it and it didn't work. And I think, well, in today's age, it might work. So 20 years later with technology, some of these ideas that I think older generations think um, have been tried and failed may have new life. So I think specifically for older generations dealing with these younger gens, to really welcome those ideas, even if they have been tried, to allow them to try them in light of the culture and the world that we have now.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the common uh, answers we'll hear in in the healthcare world is when when you ask someone, "Well, why do you why do you do a certain process this way?" and and, mm-hmm. and the answer will be well because we've always done it this way, and it, <laughs> right. it may may or may not be the best way to do it. So, do you have an example then of how getting some of these different minds, different backgrounds, different ages, working on a on a project together or trying to figure out a solution have actually uh, found the answers there? Do you have Do you have something there you could share with us?
1: I have a client where we were studying morale in their office and how, um, what was being impacted by the low level of morale that they had going on. And we found that some of the older generations were feeling like those who were just coming into the workforce didn't have common sense is what they told us. That they just don't have common sense and we want people who are scrappy and can figure out things. And the younger generation felt like, well, these older generation people don't know the latest trends and the things that we've learned in school that we're trying to bring into the workplace. So they're not open and accepting of our ideas. So once we had that conversation as a whole group and pointed out these are two different limiting beliefs that we have of each other, the whole thing turned around and it was just really talking about it. You know, we have value as older adults in the workplace and we have value as incoming younger workforce participants. It's just different. They're just different skill sets that we bring. So I really think talking openly about the differences in ages and our expectations really does open up the whole idea of the, using the strengths that each of these different generations bring because they all have them. It's just that we think about the other generations in sometimes not helpful ways.
0: Are there any final thoughts then you'd like to share with our audience on leading and managing millennials and Gen Z, um, how that can be uh, addressed and, and something that they can utilize, take home with them today and, and apply to their own practices?
1: Yeah, I would just say, we can't make anybody do anything. (laughs) So, So the best thing that we can do is to work on our own selves. And I know that sounds funny, you know, because we do need to manage other people, but I would say, look first at yourself. How can you role model really professional behavior so that you can expect it of others? And while you're working on yourself, be open to curiosity about other people instead of um, pigeonholing them, especially based on age. Because I think that does happen a lot. Well, they're just young, so they don't know. Not everybody falls into these stereotypes. So I think getting away from them a little bit so that we can be curious and try to understand each other instead of labeling somebody can be very helpful in the workplace. So I would say, you know, don't approach people in frustration, really approach them with curiosity and be the role model for what you want to see in the workplace.
0: MJ Clark, Senior Consultant and Executive Coach for Integrated Leadership Systems. Thanks for joining us today.
1: Wonderful, thanks so much for your time.
0: Well, that's gonna do it for this episode of Insights. Thanks to our guest, M.J. Clark. Also, don't forget to check out MGMA's book of the month, Revenue Cycle Management, Don't Get Lost in the Financial Maze, by Kim Tolliver and Taya Moheiser. To purchase or preview the book, visit mgma.com RCM. If you like the show, please rate and review it wherever you get your podcast. We love hearing from listeners about the show. If you have topics you'd like us to cover or experts you'd like us to interview, email us at podcast at mgma.com or find me on Twitter at MGMA Daniel. MGMA Insights is presented by Craig Weberg, Rob Ketchum, Declan McGee, and I'm Daniel Williams. Thanks for listening.